Thank you for listening to King Jesus Radio, the official podcast of New Living Way Church. In tonight's study, we are in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1 to 13, a time in history when suddenly everything changed. So we're in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get ready to begin right now. Father, we just thank you for your word. We bless your word, for your word is already blessed, Father. Yes. And we just thank you, Father God, that, Lord, as you teach us and yes. guide us and lead us this night, Father, we thank you, Lord, by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So let's go to Acts, chapter 2, and we're going to be going through verse 1 through 13 tonight. And the word tonight is suddenly. That is a word we're going to be, you know, one of the words that will come out tonight as we in this study tonight. So it's Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. And I'm in the English Standard Version. Which, which one? <clears throat> English Standard Version. Okay. ESV. And it says here in verse 1, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Amen. Amen. So this will be our scripture tonight. And I want us to, we're going to take a look at this study paper here. And we're going to go over a couple of things here as we look at verse 1. So we're going to start off on verse 1 here. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So as we had read last week, in the last couple of weeks, they were all in one accord. They were seeking the Lord, trusting the Lord, waiting on the Lord. They were in a state of expectancy, right? They were waiting upon the Lord. So if they're waiting upon the Lord, then that means they're expecting the Lord to do something. They're expecting something from the Lord. So I'll get a little bit more into that in a little bit. So just bear with me a little bit as we go through this part, because this is just a foundation to reference a lot of what we'll be looking at tonight. So let's look at verse 1, and we're looking at when the day of Pentecost arrived. So I wrote here a couple of things. Uh, Pentecost is a Greek word which simply means 50. And when it's referring to Pentecost, it's referring to one of the six feasts that are found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. So I'm going to go, the first one on there would be Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But each one of these feasts also referenced something that was to come as well. So that first one, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, this was a reference to Calvary. And you can find that in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 4 through 8. Uh, the, the second feast is the Feast of First Fruits. 
And this was a reference to uh, the resurrection, which is also found in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9 through 14. But this one that we're looking at here, this was known as the Feast of Weeks. Weeks. W-E-E-K-S. And this is a reference to Pentecost. So this one actually right here is a reference to where we're at and the feast that they're having in this time as we open up the book of Acts chapter 2. So Leviticus, this is found in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15 through 21. And it's amazing. I don't know, have any has anybody in here ever read the book of Leviticus? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, right? I I remember the first time reading the Bible, I like dreaded the book of Leviticus. I just wanted to get it done. I was like, this is just a lot of stuff. I mean, I was like, Lord, I don't think I'm retaining any of this, you know, but because I wanted to read it, you know, so anytime somebody would tell me, oh, I'm going to read through the Bible and this and that, I would, I would always encourage them. Hey man, when you get to Leviticus, you better ask the Holy Spirit to give you patience through it, you know? So it's one of those books that, you know, it's just like, wow, it's just a lot of information, a lot of details that it's just like, I'm not, I can't, I don't understand all this, but what I've come to learn over the years, I mean, don't get me wrong, Leviticus is still not a big book that I go back and look at. But when you look at Leviticus, you get to see how detailed God is. Yes. And how he is very detailed. That's why these books have so many, you know, ways of how he wanted things done. And it just reminds me that God is a very detailed God. He just doesn't throw something together. When he said, let there be light and he created the heavens and the earth, he didn't just say, oh, just let it be in whatever lands is what it is. No, God is very detailed and precise in what he does. Yeah, exactly. And this is just referring to the Ark of the Covenant, to the tabernacle, to the temple, all these different things. But imagine if you look at us, look at our bodies and how detailed we are. The Bible says that he knows the numbers of hairs on our head. Have you ever tried to count the numbers of hair on your head? I tried also, but not mine. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you could probably try to count the ones you lose, but maybe not the ones that are actually in your head, right? That's just a lot of hair. I mean, even my arm here, it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, it's just, it's just, it's not. But the Bible says that he knows the numbers of hairs on our head. He knows every detail about me and you. And that's just the outside, but how about the inside? Yeah. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Knitted us in our mother's womb. I mean, we are so detailed. And so now that I look at the book of Leviticus, I'm like, wow, Lord, this is actually really amazing. I still don't grasp a lot of it. But Lord, it just lets me know, God, you are in the details and you are very precise, Lord. And there's nothing that you do that is just because you have a plan and a purpose for it. So it's a, it's a very, very detailed book. But let's go to the book of Leviticus real quick at um, chapter 23. We're going to go to Leviticus chapter 23, and we're going to read about the Feast of Weeks in verse 15 through 21 in Leviticus. So it's right after Exodus, third book of the Bible. I hope you didn't rip it out. <laughs> it's uh, Leviticus chapter 23, and we're going to go to verse 15 through 21. Wow. I got a glitch in my Bible. It's not letting me go past Corinthians, I mean Chronicles up. Oh, what the heck happened? Okay. So Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15 to 21. 
And so this is talking about the Feast of Weeks, which is referring, referencing to, the, to Pentecost. And it says, You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So you recognize Pentecost 50. Yeah. Okay. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest, and you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. Okay? So this is referring to this time. So when it talks about in, when the day of Pentecost came, it's referring to this Feast of Weeks. This is what they were celebrating. This is why they were gathering together for this time. And it all has to do coming from the Passover and all these different things. So this is why they were here. As I was studying it, actually, there was a place that said this took place on May 19th, AD 30. So this is something I, you know, that was kind of interesting. I'd never seen that before. You could look a little bit more into that. Now keep in mind, these are just reference notes. So some of these will have scripture. Some of them won't. I'll leave it up to you if you want to go and actually search these out. If you type that in, I'm pretty sure it'll help you find the scriptures for it because they're all taken from study notes on this. This is why it's on the paper. And so these are just a couple of things that, that are coming out in tonight's uh, study. This is the Holy Spirit's new ministry. New for everyone, not just for the Jewish people. So remember when we talked about in the last couple of weeks, we talked about uh, actually, what is it, last week or the week before, about was the Holy Spirit present in the Old Testament? And we came to the conclusion, yes, he was. He was He was present everywhere. He was always there. He had been there since the beginning because it says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters in the beginning. It says that the Spirit of God was already there. And even throughout the Old Testament, you see the Holy Spirit working. Even when they were to build the tabernacle in Exodus chapter, I believe, 23, it talks about, and the Spirit of the Lord is in him to give him the talent that he needs to be able to do these things. And not only that, you will find others that are Spirit-filled to be able to also do the work of the ark and the tabernacle and of all these things. So the Holy Spirit was very active. The Holy Spirit would come upon the king, the priest, and the prophet for a time. And that was to prophesy, to lead, whatever that the Lord was going to do, these are the things that the Holy Spirit would do. The difference is, the Holy Spirit only came upon the children of Israel. Only. Only. You never really saw the Holy Spirit fall upon any others unless they were Jewish. No Gentiles. Okay? So now as we're opening the book of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is now no longer just to the Jewish people. 
but now he's for everyone. And not only that, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is now permanent. He's no longer temporary coming upon somebody and then leaving. As we talked about last time, you know, the Holy Spirit departed from Saul, departed from Samson. Even David himself says, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Recognizing that the Holy Spirit would come upon them for a season, for a moment, for the purpose of the Lord. So he's recognizing that, well, in this, in the book of Acts, that's no longer the case. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is now permanent. And the blessing of it is, makes all repentive sinners grow in grace and to be like Jesus. What I love about this part, the way it breaks down the ministry of the Holy Spirit, makes all repentive sinners grow in grace and be like who? Jesus. Jesus. Listen to this part. No indication in the Old Testament that the moral and spiritual nature of either Saul or Samson was changed by God's Spirit. So think about that. Nowhere in the Old Testament do you ever see someone becoming like God or being molded to be after God. Not in the Old Testament. They only derived His power, but not His purity. You only saw the power of God through the words, through the actions, but you didn't see the life transformed by the holiness of God. Because these were still ordinary men, ordinary people being used by God in this time. But see, that's not the case in the New Testament. Yeah. The New Testament is now teaching us, and the Holy Spirit is now doing the work in me and you to become more like Christ. As He is holy, righteous, blameless. So it's not just about the power of God. It's about having that same characteristics, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and all that's possible through salvation. There's a changing now. Back then it wasn't a matter of the changing. In Samson, you see his strength. Saul, you see his strength. David, you see the wisdom. You see all these different things, but they were not being transformed by the Spirit yet. So this is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, The next portion here is compare the Old Testament and the New Testament Pentecost. So we're going to look at a couple things here. So in the Old Testament... Pentecost occurred 50 days after Israel left Egypt. So you guys remember the deliverance of Egypt, amen? So that it occurred when they had Pentecost, it was 50 days after they left Egypt. You could find that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, verse 6, 12 and 31. So you've seen a pattern here? And it was exactly 50 days later they arrived at Mount Sinai. And you'll find that in Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. Now let's look at the New Testament. The New Testament, Pentecost occurred 50 days after the death and resurrection of Christ. Of Jesus Christ. Old Testament, New Testament. Acts 1-3 will happen 40 days from the resurrection. And Acts 2, 1-10 that we're reading here was 10 days after His ascension. Oh, there's the 50. There's the 50. Pentecost. So when it's saying when the day of Pentecost arrived, this is all taking place. This is all happening. And it's all happening the way it needs to happen, according to the scriptures. 
What I love about this, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was introduced in a mighty way. So let's go to Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 through 18. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 through 18, if somebody would like to read that. Yeah, chapter 19, verse 16 through 18. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed. Am I on the right one? Yeah, that's one. And a dense cloud came down on the mountain. It was a long, loud blast from Aram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai uh-huh. was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. Wow, imagine that sight. Do you know what the ram's horn is representative of? Um, no, I don't. Okay. No, I don't. Yeah, I know there's a meaning, but I'm not sure what it was. Is that a volcano? Hmm? No, it's not a volcano. This is Mount Sinai. This is oh, where the Lord would meet with. This yeah. is where the Lord would meet with Moses. Yeah, it was His voice. It was His voice. So imagine they got to see the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, there in such a mighty way. And imagine the the terror of seeing God that way brought so much terror upon the people that they literally told Moses, we don't want God to talk to us anymore. (laughs) How about you go and talk to him and then come down and tell us what God says. And how many of us know that that's a lot of like what today is? Many people don't want to necessarily come to God, but they want you to tell them about God. Yeah, you pray for me. What is God saying? What is God saying to you? But we don't necessarily want to, they don't necessarily, we don't always necessarily want to hear God. We just want to know about Him. And right here, it was so terrible, it was so terrifying. It even says that Moses' face would shine so brightly that he would have to put a veil on. I looked up uh, the ram's horn. Uh huh. The same as the trumpet, like the, God's trumpet. Mm. Okay. Amen. Shofar. 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 Okay. So we look at this, and this is a this is like wow. That is a mighty way that the Lord is showing Himself to the people of Israel. He's not showing Himself as. But we know he's showing himself in all his glory and it brought terror. It brought fear. I mean, what, how would you react to that? Scary. Yeah. yeah, very scary. And awe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even imagine how, how wonderful or how awesome that must have been. But yes, how fearful it must have been. How much terror. But then we see in Acts chapter 2. He also introduces the Holy Spirit in a mighty way. And that's what we're reading tonight. A couple more things here that we're going to compare is these are two different areas as far as in this time. Two examples that we're given is Bethlehem and Pentecost. Two things that have happened once and will never happen again. And this is why. Bethlehem, you have God preparing a body for his son to work through. How many of us know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? So, Jesus only needed to be... How many times did Jesus need to be born? Once. Once. 
Just one time. It's a one-time occurrence. How many times do you know? You know it's, it's a, so we're looking at that. Pentecost is God preparing a body for His Spirit to work through. Wow, that's awesome. That's you, see the, the, the sim- you see the same thing there? Bethlehem is God preparing for his son, a body for his son to work through. Pentecost is now preparing a body for his spirit to work through. How many of us know that we are that body? The body of Christ. Amen? Amen. And I wrote right here, neither one will happen again. Why? Why won't they happen again? It only has to happen once. It doesn't need to happen again. Look at creation. When God created, he didn't, he didn't need to keep creating. God doesn't need to keep creating. He's not creating anymore. He already created. And once he created, he didn't just create to create. He created and everything now procreates. You have seeds. You have babies. You have everything that is able to reproduce because God created everything perfectly. And it's the same thing with the day of Pentecost in Bethlehem. These things never have to happen again because we no longer have to wait and to tarry for the Holy Spirit to come again. The Holy Spirit's already here. The Holy Spirit has already fallen upon His people. And now, putting your faith in Christ Jesus and Him alone and repenting of our sins, you and I and others who put their faith in Jesus can now receive the Holy Spirit. How many of you, when you got saved, they said, okay, now you have to go wait 50 days in your room and wait for the Holy Spirit? No, you are born again. The Holy Spirit had already come upon us. This portion of scripture is now representing the Holy Spirit coming upon all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. No longer just for the Jewish people, but for everyone. And we'll get a little bit more into that right now. A couple other things here is the New Testament and the rapture. We're looking at two different things here. God's Spirit descends upon the church. We see that here in the scripture reading. But in the rapture, God the Son descends for the church. So he don't just descend upon the church, he's descending because he's coming back for his church. In this portion of scripture, there's a sound of blowing wind heard. When he comes back, it says well, there will be a blowing trumpet that will be heard. Um, when this happened, it resulted in the conversion of multitudes. Many people came to know the Lord and put their faith. Later on in the scripture, you'll see in one moment, 3,000 people are saved. How many of us know that the rapture will do the same thing in the end times? There will be many that will be converted to the Lord in those times. Uh, in this portion, in the, in the book of Acts, it says he formally introduced the 12 apostles. In the end times, the, he'll formally introduce the 144,000, which are the 144 that will be sealed for that time that are from the 12 tribes of Jude, from the 12 ty- tri- tribes of Israel. 12 tribes of Yeah. Amen. So these are all the things that have to do with Pentecost. And I just wanted to lay this out because I thought it was very important for us to look at these things. And look at when we're reading, when the day of Pentecost came, arrived, this is what they were celebrating. This is why they were together. This is why there were so many people in this vicinity because everybody was coming for these feasts. Now the next feast is the Feast of Trumpets, number four here. And that's referencing or referring to the rapture and the second coming of the Lord. That's in Leviticus 23, verse 23 to 25. Number five is the Day of Atonement. That's referring to the coming tribulation. That's found in Leviticus chapter 16 and chapter 23, verse 26 to 32. 
The sixth one is the Feast of Tabernacles. That's referencing to the millennium in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 33 through 43. But imagine this, after what we're reading tonight, these feasts were no longer needed anymore. Because everything is in Christ Jesus. All the details, when you look at all the Old Testament, everything that was done, all that is now found in Christ Jesus. So whether we understand all those feasts and the meanings, and it's good to know that because there's a lot of details and you get to see Christ in it all. But the number one thing that we do need to know, the number one person we need to know is Jesus. Because in Him is everything. That's the most important thing. And that's how we come to know the Lord. We'll come back to the end part of this in a little bit. But let's go back to the scripture here. Any thoughts, comments, questions on that? Anything on that before we move on? I like that how you broke it apart. Rapture versus Christ. Yeah, I like the comparisons in those. I have a question. Yeah. <laughs> back in Genesis, when God created it and Adam and Eve were there, is it possible? I mean, is it that the Holy Spirit was with them and in them? That's an interesting question. She's asking if, if at that time the Holy Spirit was in Adam and Eve, and that when they sinned and they fell, did the Holy Spirit leave them? Because they were perfect. <clears throat> they were perfect, yeah. Wow, they were perfect. So I'm wondering, after the crucifixion, wow. on Pentecost, the infilling of the Holy Spirit came back. Came, came back, and that's wow. why you are. It's a thought. It's a good thought. The Bible doesn't specify. The Bible does not specify on that, you know. So we don't we don't know. But it's a good question, and it's a good way to look at it because Adam and Eve were perfect. They were in the Garden of Eden, and it says that the Lord breathed the very breath, His very breath of life into them. Right. And that's what gave them life. Was that was His spirit? That's a really you know. And when I when you really look at the Book of Genesis and you think about it. What, what really gets me in that is when the Bible says, by his stripes you are healed, that word is referring to being made whole. So what she says that it really, yeah, it, it also, well, yeah, but also think about it this way. If God breathed his life and the Bible says he made us in his image, it doesn't necessarily mean that we all look alike or we look like God. His image is referring to his spirit. Because that's where we're all the same, because it's God's spirit. And the Bible says eternity is in the hearts of man. That's why they know that there has to be a God. But the problem is when sin entered the world, that relationship was severed. It was broken. It was now a chasm. There was a big gap between us and God. So that is a possibility, but like I said, the Bible doesn't specify on that. But I believe that in that, that relationship was broken. That connection, that wholeness by the Spirit of God was broken. But in Christ, He became that that way. He's the one that reconciled and brought us back together to be whole with God in Him. But, you know, again, it's it's that's a good question. So there's another um, type of religion that believes that Oh, they sh- we should not speak in tongues because it's for everybody hearing it in their own language. So they're focusing on the own language 
Well, let's let's go a little bit deeper in the scripture then. We'll, we'll kind of look at that. And again, there's many thoughts and takes on this, okay? Yeah. So I'm going to bring it to you the way that I studied it and the way I look at it and the way that I, you know, and again, but there are many different teachings along this portion of scripture that some believe one way, some believe another way. Yeah. You know, that's just one of those things that, okay, well then, you know, we'll agree to disagree on that. Okay. But we're going to look at the scripture right now and prayerfully this will come a little bit more clear and you can decide and continue to study and, and make your decision as well on this. So we went through all of that and this was just to lay out that now the, this is a, a great time to be living in and this is where everything changes. It's like in, it's like in sports, they call it the game changer. If you watch that Super Bowl, there was a couple of game-changing moments in that game. <laughs> and the 49ers choked. So, you know, you get to see that. It's just something that just changes everything. And you're just like, wow. I mean, I would, like, what happened there? You know, this is just like a complete game-changer. You know, when you're going in and you have your plans and you have what you're going to do that day and all of a sudden something comes in and changes it and all of a sudden you ended up doing something else, it's not bad, but you're like, wow, I didn't see that game-changer coming in here. I'm not saying that Christianity is a game i'm just using it as a reference <laughs> but this has happened so this is that portion this is a time in like christianity that it's like wow this is completely changes everything so let's see why yeah. so it says when the day of pentecost arrived we went over all that part they were all together in one place so i want us to look at that real quick they were all together in one place that word can either be in your bible known as it probably says accord or it could say together and that word is basically it's two words brought together it's rush along or and in unison and unison just meaning together as one and i love this example it gives referring to this word together or in one accord and in unison it gives an example like this it's like a musical number of notes sounded while they're different but they're harmonized in pitch and tone so even though the notes are different, even though there's all these different notes going on, if you like music, you like all these different things, how many of you know that many times the notes are not always being played the same? But they can be harmonized together and they sound great and you wouldn't even notice. We're two different yeah. come in. They can bring them in together. So this is what it's referring to. As the instruments of a great concert under a great master are done, the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of members of Christ's church. So with that same thing, it's the Holy Spirit bringing us all together in unison. And this is what the disciples were doing at this time. They were all together in unison. They were waiting on the Lord. They were trusting in the Lord. They were seeking the Lord, but they were all waiting with expectancy. They knew that Jesus said, wait for the promise to tarry, to wait. So when you're waiting, like I said, it's like in a restaurant. And what are you doing? You're waiting for what? Your food. So what happens when your food doesn't come when you want it to come? Oh yeah, you're looking around. You may walk to the kitchen. You may say, hey, where's my food at? You know, you're looking, you're wondering. And not only that, when they, if you're like my wife, when they bring the food, she's putting her hand on it. Is it cold? And how long was it sitting there? You know, because we're waiting. We're expecting. We want what we're waiting for. Especially if we're paying for it, right? I don't know about you, but if I'm paying for something, I want to make sure that I'm going to get it, right? So, how many of you guys shop online? Yeah, you guys are always waiting for something to come then, right? Always something coming in that mail. You're looking at the door constantly. Oh, I heard something. That's probably it right there. You're always waiting for something. 
You're waiting for your husband to come home. Huh, Desiree? <laughs> Amen. It's, it's, that, it's that one place we're waiting. So when we're waiting, we're expecting. So right here, the disciples are all together in this feast, but they're together in one place, but they are waiting and they're in expectation for what is to come. They're not just here just to be together, which is a nice thing, but they're expecting, they're waiting on the Lord. So in verse two, but look at this, this just changes everything. How many know there's just certain words in the Bible that just change everything? It's called that game changer word. It's like the other one, you know, you're reading something and it says, but God, and you know, as soon as, but God, it's just like, oh man, something changed there. God just did something there. Well, right here, it says, and suddenly, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And suddenly, imagine that in our lives. I pray that after this, we are going to be waiting for that suddenly moment in our lives. And I'll explain why. This word suddenly is to be unaware and unexpectedly. But wait a minute. But I'm expecting. So how can I be unexpectedly? I, I don't get that. If I'm expecting, but yet suddenly comes in and that word changes everything and it's known as unexpectedly. What do you think is referring to in that? How, how does that match yeah that's quite weird yeah right you're waiting unexpectedly yeah so if you're waiting on something you're expecting it but yet the word suddenly comes in and changes everything and it says unexpectedly unexpectedly what is what where, what, what does that mean i don't think they understand when jesus would tell them they had to go away this so the holy spirit would come i don't think they knew how he was going to come but the thing that they did have in unity together is that the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, that's where the unity came in because they all believed in the same thing and saw the same thing because they walked and talked and he taught them all this stuff. So they just didn't know how the Holy Spirit, there we go. but the unity of the prayer was there. That's the unity of the heart of what Jesus did. Yes. The whole focus on what Jesus did. Nothing else or not signs and wonders or miracles. It was the unity of what Christ had to do with them. Yes, God bless you. I think they were excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were excited. They were excited. But remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago about asking? Yeah. Is there anything wrong with asking questions? Nope. No, right? But does God always answer those questions? Not right then and there. No, not right then and there, right? Some answers take time. Some things are of the Lord, too. And what, one of the other things was, is many times he'll answer me and you, but he'll answer us in a way that we were not expecting. That's right. yeah. So therefore, we don't recognize that. Yeah, suddenly, he'll answer us, and we're like, nah, that's not the answer. Because <laughs> that's not the answer I was expecting. <laughs> and so therefore, we, go, we could go years living like that, thinking that God never answered our prayer. But he did answer it. But because it suddenly came in and we didn't recognize or we just didn't want to recognize it, we think he didn't answer us. Excuse me. Yes, Rosalind. And this is the reason that 
Uh, I've always heard, be careful what you pray for yeah. and what you ask for, because you will ask for something, may not, and, it, and like, as you said, it doesn't come in that particular form that you want, but it came. Yes. But you wasn't ready to accept it. So if you say, Lord, have your way, do your will, or whatever, you have to be ready to accept this, you know, because he knows what he's doing. We don't know what we're doing. That's right. You know, so, yeah. He's, he's in the details. He knows every detail of it. So this is in that same thing. It's, it's in that same way. This happened unexpectedly because they didn't know what to expect. In the Webster's, it says it's a happening or something coming unexpectedly. And we talked about waiting. But again, they would have never imagined, they could have never imagined to expect this to happen. Like Pastor Pat said, they saw the, the, they saw the crucifixion, they saw the resurrection, they saw the ascension. They saw him rise from the dead, all these different things, and they're just like, wow, 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 wow. They're like crazy, you know? Then they see Jesus going to heaven and ascend, wow. And he tells them, wait. They don't know what to expect. This never happened. This is something totally new. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. And this is why we want those suddenly moments in our lives. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. If somebody can read that, please. I'm getting kind of excited here. <laughs> I'm getting, we haven't said that in a long time. Preaching yourself happy. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask of him. Glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all the generations forever. Amen. Amen. My version says now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or even think. So imagine even what we ask God, God can do so much more than that. How many of us know that me and you are limited? Because we don't know what God can do. That's why we should desire for those suddenly moments. We may be expecting God to move or to speak or to say or to work in a certain way. But when we do that and we want to confine him into a little box, we are limiting what God can actually do in our lives because he can do far more abundantly. More than we could even ask or even imagine or even think what he can do in our lives. Look at yourself today. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't by the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And you may not think that, well, I don't have this. Well, no, but you have the love of God. You have a God who loves you, a God who is patient and long-suffering and kind and gentle and compassionate. A God that has wisdom and, and just is working in me and you. And who will never leave you nor forsake you. It is an amazing thing. And this is a place they're in right here. This is going on and they don't know what to think. Let's go to 2 Chronicles. If you're taking notes, this is also found in 1 Kings 8.11. But we're going to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. This is a similar moment in the Bible here. This is where they're dedicating the temple. And it's 2 Chronicles chapter 5. 
and they had just built the temple unto the Lord. They're, they're making sacrifices. They're honoring and glorifying the Lord in all of this. And we're going to uh, chapter 5, verse 11 through 14 in here. Listen, all that we learned about unison, and remember we talked about the instruments and all of that, about the, the harmonization and all that, how the Holy Spirit can use the body this way. Well, look at an example here of the instruments actually being in unison, but not only them, but also the people. It says here, and when the priest came out of the holy place for all the priests... Not just some, but all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions. Oh, that's good. So every priest had a division, but at this point in time, they, didn't, they disregarded all the divisions. All of them came together and consecrated themselves and came together to give the Lord glory. So it says here, and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeteers. And it was the duty of the trumpeteers and the singers to make themselves heard in unison. In praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord. For he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. So this is the people of God coming into unison, praising God in one accord and one sound. It says the house. The temple of God, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. This is where Shekinah glory comes from, right? Yeah, that's where they get that from. This is the glory of God coming and filling the temple that Solomon had built, that David had constructed and designed and all these different things. But how many of us know that is a temple built by human hands? Yes. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 16 to 17, if somebody can read that. What verse? Verse 16 and 17. 16, 17? 16, 17. The, the, oh, man. This last show. The successors of... Yeah. I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. 3, 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit in God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Amen. We see an example in the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit, the glory of God, the presence of God coming and filling a temple built by human hands. But in this portion of scripture, it says, and suddenly an unexpected thing happened. There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So all of a sudden the presence of God comes in. It says that the Holy Spirit came in and it says, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. 
When it says appeared, they literally saw this. They're literally seeing these cloven tongues, these tongues that were divided that looked like fire resting upon them. Now, how did these tongues look? I don't know, but this is what it says. And tongues, I mean, to be filled is to be full. How many guys love to be full? Oh, come on. We like to be filled, right? And appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So they're seeing this, literally seeing this sight. And it says in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This time the Holy Spirit's not just coming in to fill a building. The Holy Spirit now came in to fill His people. To come and fill His people. And not just the Jewish people, but all those who would put their faith in the risen Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ to live not just as a temporary dwelling, because even in the temple in the Old Testament, it says that the Spirit of God departed from that temple. But He came to now permanently dwell in the temple of His people. And the body of Christ. And we're seeing this and they're seeing this here to be full. How many of us know that when God fills you with his Holy Spirit, he just doesn't give you a little piece of his spirit. He gives you his whole Holy Spirit. He fills you with his Holy Spirit. Now you may not understand all about the Holy Spirit, but let me tell you something. You are full of the Holy Spirit if you have put and repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have the wholeness and the fullness of Christ. We may still be learning some things and understanding some things. And that's why it's so important to know your God. Because then you know the personality, the characteristics, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works and how the mind of Christ thinks. Because He is the Spirit of God. He's not a thing, an entity. He is a person. The third person in the Godhead. And he's living and dwelling in you because you have put your face, faith in Jesus Christ. When it says and spoke, it means to utter a voice or to emit a sound. Other tongues could be referenced as different dialects. An utterance is not an everyday speech. It's not an everyday speech that you always hear. It's an utterance. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to 27. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 to 27. I'll read this portion right here. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of who? Of God. According to the will of God. And we're going to remember that part right there. I want you to remember the Spirit, it, what's it called? According to the will of God. Remember that part as we move for, forward into the Scripture. So they're speaking in tongues, in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Helping them in that weakness. God bless you. 
Let's go to the next verse here, verse 5. It says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So you got the whole world coming over here to these feasts. You got a big old crowd. And how many of us know that this place, this event, was not a quiet event? This was a loud event that others heard. It says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. Now when that word means devout men, it's referring to pious, those that reverence God. These are these are guys that reverence God, or at least they said so. (laughs) But because they were religious, they reverenced God. They were pious men. They had reverence to God. So all these men, these people are here in this time when this is going on. And it says from every nation under heaven. And it says, at at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. That word bewildered is to be confused. Like, what is going on over here? It's like when you see a big crowd or something and you're wondering, what happened? What happened? And you're going over there to see what's going on. They were bewildered. They were confused. They were wondering, what is going on? What is this noise we're hearing? What are these languages we're hearing? This was not a quiet event. And this was an event that took place for all to see and for all to hear that were there in this place. But how many of you know God planned it that way? This was not by accident. This didn't just happen by chance. God knew this. These feasts had been going on for years. They had been celebrating these feasts for years. But now he was showing them that those feasts were no longer necessary. But he still did everything according to the scripture. But he now is that new covenant. And it says, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, those are converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues, listen to this part, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty work of God. (laughs) The mighty works of God. So they weren't just speaking in tongues. They were declaring the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance according to the will of God. And what they're hearing are the praises of God. Talk about going back and when the Holy Spirit came and filled that temple, what were they doing? They were praising God. For he is good. His love endures forever. And right here, they're all hearing them in their own languages, praising God. Telling about the mighty works of God. The will of God. Now again, this is a portion here that many will, some believe that They spoke in other tongues. Some believe that they were speaking in actual languages. There's different ways of looking at this. But what I'm looking at here is, it says that they heard them speaking in their language. 
In this version, it doesn't say that they were speaking in their language. It says that they heard them speaking in their native languages. Oh, they weren't speaking. They heard them speaking. Okay. Could it be that they were hearing the Spirit of God speaking? Because how many of us know, just like on that cross, it was written in Latin, in Greek, in, I'm sorry, in in, in, in was Aramaic, Aramaic mm-hmm. Latin and Greek, I believe. And that represented the whole world, all the languages, because he's Lord of all. Mm-hmm. And they were speaking in other, in other languages, but each person was able to hear them in their own tongue, their own language, their own dialect. All these different people. <laughs> Doesn't necessarily mean they were speaking directly in their language, but this is what they were hearing, and they were hearing the praises and the mighty works of God. In their own language. In their own language, because they were able to understand it. Yes. So let's look back at this paper right here. <clears throat> <laughs> Let's actually go to Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 and 9. Uh, hold, on, hold your place in there. We're going to come back right now. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 9. It says, Now the whole earth had one language... And the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this only, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will not be impossible for them, will now be, will, will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. We see here the Lord confusing the language and separating the language. We see here in the book of Acts, the Lord bringing everybody together and them hearing in one in their language. Being able to hear by the Spirit of God. And there's a couple of different the, the comparables to Pentecost and Babel. In Babel, it was sinful men working for their own glory. In Pentecost, it's man waiting for God's glory. In Babel, God confused man's language. In Pentecost, God clarifies man's language. In Babel, God scattered man throughout the worlds. In Pentecost, God gathered man within the church. He restored everything that was lost. Everything has been restored in Christ Jesus. Because it's all in the Lord. The original plan, the original place that God had for me and you. And we see this going forward in here. 
And in verse 12, it says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. They are filled with new wine. This last portion here on this page, it's a comparison between new wine and the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the, the comparison in the, the two. Both result in the crushing process. Both give boldness to the one under their control. And both produce a longing for more. The question is, which one produces the greater fruit? That's got to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces life. Not only just a life to, to live a long life, but it's a life that we're able to become more like Christ. That we're able to become more like Him. The Holy Spirit was given to me and you, not just for the power of God. It's the power of God that helps me to live for Him. And for him. But it's also the power of God that changes me and you. And our morality to become more like Him. But not based upon our own goodness, our own righteousness, but based upon His righteousness. Right here, the world was changed forever. Because once the Holy Spirit came, there was no taking the Holy Spirit back. Because now everyone has access and can receive the Holy Spirit for all those that put their faith in Christ Jesus and what He has done for them. Those that repent... And those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ can now be filled with the Holy Spirit, can now have the very presence of God living in them, can now be one in a body of Christ because we're one in Him. How many of us know that we're one in Him? It's the same Spirit living in you that's living in me today because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. One language, one everything because we're one in Christ. Amen. Good. That's a good answer to my question. The church would never be the same again. Because now this was the foundation of Christianity. Was Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection, but now also the promise of the Holy Spirit. What did you mean by crushing process at, at Pentecost? I mean, at, uh, yeah, at Pentecost. Though. Well, the crushing process is just that going through the fire, going through everything we go through. Just that... That whole process of he that began a good work in you will see it to completion until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because how many of us know sometimes it feels like we're going through a crushing? It feels like we're going through that fire. But how many of us know that because we have the Holy Spirit in us, he always brings us through? Amen. He's always faithful to bring me and you through. That's good. So it's a process, but it's the Holy, it's the Holy Spirit's process at work within us. And it's because of our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. They would never be the same. And as we continue to read the book of Acts, we're going to see the church grow. See the church established. But not just established in a temple, but in the temple when referring to the people of God. Because now many others would come to know Christ, and now the Holy Spirit was available to all. Not just to a select few, but to all. And this changed everything. Many times in our life, we're waiting on the Lord, we're trusting in the Lord, and we're seeking the Lord. 
and we're expecting of the Lord. But how many of us would love to have that suddenly moment in our lives where the Lord just does something so unexpectedly that we can never imagine because it's too high and lofty. It's just uncomprehendable to think, Lord, I would have never imagined you would do this in my life. I would have never imagined I would know you this way, Lord. I would have never imagined, Lord God, I'd still be here today. And that's just because of the love of God. And we got a lot more to go through, amen? Yes. This is just the beginning here. But it's a very important part in that, amen? Good. Amen. Really, really good. Yeah. It changes everything. Changes everything, brother. It's not a personal miracle.